Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Talking Wrestling on Never Sleeps Network. I am your host, comedian Casey Corbin. Thanks for clicking in and beginning the journey and tuning in and being with us today. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know the show, you can hit us up on any of our social media outlets. On the Twitter, we are at TNWPod. Instagram, follow us there to see photos of the show and what's going on and upcoming shows. Obviously, you're going to see pictures on the old instagram uh so that is at talking wrestling podcast also uh talking wrestling at gmail in case you want to sell some gmails uh for those of you who are listening on itunes uh please uh you know uh, rate review and subscribe we appreciate all three i've just recently learned that different reviews come in on different itunes for example some of you people who are listening in the states have reviewed on your itunes uh, i have canadian itunes so i don't get to see those uh the only review i have on canadian itunes there's one right now i can't remember the name but uh next week i'll i'll will remember the name and uh, and there's there's been someone nice enough to give a review on the on the uk itunes as well it's hard to track all these down actually it's not hard i googled and i found a site that tracks all of them down for you so the people that have been reviewing thank you very kindly um next week i'm going to put up a little contest for people who review uh, i'm going to send them something in the mail uh, I'll, I'll give more about that next week uh also you know if you want to leave a star if you're in a rate review leave a five star uh, or leave a you know rate it as well apparently the reviews don't come up unless you rate it that's what i've been told i'm not 100 percent sure but somebody told me that so i'm gonna take it like it's uh, gospel until i figure out otherwise for those of you uh who clicked in last week on the ted dibiase million dollar man episode thank you very much it was a real fun time uh getting to speak with ted and getting to be with him and ask him all those questions uh it was a fun time and it was very hard for me not to Chris Farley spaz out because he is such a legend. So thank you, uh, Ted, if you're out there uh, listening, which I know he probably isn't. But I appreciate you coming on the show. And if you're in the States, don't forget to go see his movie. I believe it is November 7th uh, that comes into uh, the theaters. Uh, the Price of Fame, is, uh, the story of Ted uh, DiBiase. Check that out in the, in the United States. So with that said, uh, I have a guest today that I'm excited to have. I've known this gentleman for probably about 10 years, I would say, maybe 11 years. He is a pillar in the Toronto comedy community, as well as I've always known him to be a pretty hardcore wrestling fan, and I'm excited to have him on here to talk wrestling today. Uh, Gary Ryder, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for joining <laughs> me. Oh, excited to be here. Yeah, you run the comedy bar in uh, in Toronto, which is fantastic. It's a fantastic venue. Let's talk about that a little bit off the start. Sure. Um, like, how did you start the comedy bar, and where did you get the idea for that? Oh, man. Uh, we were doing a bunch of live shows in the city. Venues were closing down all over the place. Um, a lot of the times when they were closing, it felt to me like it was because of mismanagement uh -huh. uh, or, you know, it was also a changing city locations that where, you, you know, it was like, downtown was nightclub land and now it's all condos you know like there were things that were also like outside factors that, that had an effect on those venues closing but i really thought that the community was really spread out and people were doing you know one night a week here or one night a week there in the back rooms of these bars and i thought if i could bring everything together into one place uh that we could 
you know, amplify what's going on in the community and, and, you know, make it a little more well-known. Yeah. And it's fantastic because it's, it's, uh, two different rooms in a one venue. That's a bar as well, that it shares a bar and, uh, and it allows comedians to produce their own shows and to kind of, uh, set their own path. Yeah. Well, I just feel like if you're creating your own work, then you're never out of work. I mean, the club landscape for standup is constantly changing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a few comics who, are really good producers as well. And it's like, they're making as much money producing a show once a month with me as they are out hitting the road and stuff. And it's like, they do both, but it's yeah. like another good revenue stream for comedians. Exactly. Now, as far as wrestling goes, what was your first impression of wrestling and when did you get into wrestling? Oh man, I don't remember. Uh, I know, I remember going to the local video store in my neighborhood to rent VHS movies all the time. Like my parents give me five bucks to go rent movies. And I think I remember seeing the WrestleMania two poster, you know, in the, in the video store and being like, I think I had to rent uh, WrestleMania one and two like yeah. as VHSs to watch as a kid. Like yes. I, I didn't watch them live or whatever. I mean, I was no. a kid, but I, I remember seeing the WrestleMania two poster and then like renting that and watching it and like getting super into it. And I had all the wrestling dolls, um, you know, the, 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 LJ the, the nine yeah. inch rubber dolls or whatever. I still have a box with the posters that came. So with, with every doll, there was also a poster, a poster in the yeah. box and I have, I still have all the posters in a box. Like eventually the dolls, you know, went at yard sales for a dollar and stuff like that. And my dad always like gives me a hard time about it because you know, he had to really like go find, you know, like when the Hart Foundation came out, he had to like get to a store and beat everyone there to get it and got a parking ticket and like complained that he ended up spending like, you know, cost him like 80 bucks to get the Hart Foundation. I sold them for a dollar at a yard sale, like, oh. you know, eight years later or whatever. Right. When I was, yeah. you know, a, a teenager or something, it's like, and now if you had them now, like you'd wish you had them all again. Oh, there, there's a market out there for them. People yeah. want them. Well, especially most of them are in bad shape. Like the paints come off them and stuff the like that. So if you have, on them. Yeah. yeah, you know, or fingers are broken off and stuff like that. So if you have, I still have a few at home, like if, you know, but there, there were some that were like overprinted too, like a million Corporal Krishners. Like you, everybody has that one. Who wants it? Who wants it? But, but it's at every yard sale still or in every junk pile or in a value village. It's still there. You're like, they made too many of this one. Oh my God. That's so funny. Or nobody kept them. Yeah. Either or. Yeah. Because I, the only one that I have, I have some bendies. I have some thumb wrestlers. I, a, I was just going to say, I have a few of the thumb wrestlers. Yeah. And then there were, there were like four inch ones that came with a ring and with these like two long paddles. It was like, it was like, um, like a stamper. And so you would set the, each, you would pick your guy yeah. and set him in the ring. And then you, you would just put this long paddle under the ring and punch the stamper and it would like pop the ring. And the first guy to pop out, you won the match. Oh, wow. That was a stupid toy I had. It's kind of like a, a rip off of Rock'em Sock'em robots a little bit. That's right. Yeah. It was just, it was exactly that. And you'd just like punt, you'd just hammer your thing like crazy yeah. and, you know, and knock, try to knock the other guys. I had that. I had the steel cage for the original nine inch guys, like, you know, and the ring for that. I, was, I had a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I had uh, a Das Modern Clay Hulkamania set. I also had, um, for some reason, my parents bought me soap every year for Christmas. <laughs> they, my dad still does. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. Get clean. Like, I guess like it was like soap, socks, underwear, deodorant. It was yeah. like, that's like, hey, stay fresh. The first time I had to buy myself socks, you know, it was an adventure because I'm like, 
They, you always just get new socks at Christmas and throw out your old socks. Yeah. And then I remember one year I got E.T. soap when E.T. was popular. And then when wrestling was popular, they got me wrestling soap. Yeah. So I got a bar of Hulkamania. That's amazing. Uh, Hulk Hogan is on one bar. Yeah. And the other bar has Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Wow. I never showered with them. No, I don't want to keep them nice. Yeah. But the last thing I want to do is, who wants to wash their balls with Hulkamania? <laughs> like, like I got to meet Rick Steamboat in December. I don't want to be like, hey, I hey. used to shower with you all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Hulkamania running wild. Oh, yeah. Hulkamania running wild. So I also had this like workout, this Hulkamania workout set. Hulkamania workout set. Yeah. yeah. Which was like, you know, uh, I think two five pound blue weights like dumbbells and then like a, a longer like a, a curl bar yeah with like two five pound weights like it wasn't much weight i think the best thing in that was the hulkster headband well, yes but the audio cassette i still have and it's incredible dude it's so funny there's like there's just eight, like music playing like up-tempo music and then hulk hogan like making noises in the background like <laughs> you could easily interpret it to be like you know porn or something he's just like oh that's it yeah keep going you're it's doing like, great oh all of his other porn tapes have n-bombs in them but yeah well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but like anyway that cassette is really like I, when i got older and replayed it i was like oh my god this is hilarious you know yeah and it's, you know, and a lot of say no to drugs and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it, he was just the right guy marketed perfectly at the right time. Oh, he was, he was so, he was so good at what he did. And that's what I think is fantastic. Like, you know, people are like, he wasn't a great wrestler. I'm like, he didn't need to be, he's a giant. I think giants the, don't need to be great wrestlers. Yeah. I think the first live show I went to, I think he wrestled George the Animal Steel at the gardens. Yeah. And I think it, was, it wasn't an event. It was like Saturday Night Wrestling or something yeah. like that. Something like that. Well, you did you grow up here in Toronto? Yeah. yeah. So they, because they had house shows at the gardens like every month. Yeah. It was, that was a monthly thing. It's like, like, you know, every month you got a wrestling card and usually Hulk Hogan was a big part of them. Like people don't understand when he came into Toronto against the rock, they're like rumors are people are going to cheer for Hogan. I'm like, you don't get it. People love Hogan in this town. Yeah. This is a Hulk Hogan town. Yeah. He was here a lot, man. And that's the first time he came back with WCW. Of course they're going to cheer Hulk Hogan. I camped out for WCW because Brett had just made the switch. Then WCW had, because WWE owned the gardens, WCW couldn't come here. And then the ACC got built and WCW was like first time coming to Canada. They're going to be at the ACC. Yes. And I camped out for tickets and I got floor seats and I made a huge Canadian world order sign on like a science board. And I'm on nitro with this huge sign. And this is the nitro where Bret Hart outsmarts Bill Goldberg. Correct. Yes. Yeah. With the, with the pan on his, See, with the metal pan on his chest. They came up twice. They came up for that. And then they came up for WCW Mayhem, where Bret won the title in a tournament. Yeah. However, I was at Mayhem on floor seats, and I had a great night that night, but I would trade Mayhem for the Bill Goldberg, Bret Hart moment that happened at that whole... I don't even remember anything else that happened that <laughs> Nitro. Me either. But to me, like, Bret always says, nothing good ever happened to me in WCW, but I disagree. That moment with Bill Goldberg, when he quit WCW, that was so, like... I love it when Bret Hart gets all upset because when he sets the record straight, he always ends with, and you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like that's <laughs> when Bret Hart means business. Yeah. He's putting you, it's when you have to put it in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. So you don't want to hear that from him, but um, it's so great. Like I just love the whole thing. Uh, my favorite part of the 
whole thing was when he said, you're on the Tonight Show, Bill Goldberg, you're out there on the Tonight Show telling everybody you want to match with Steve Austin. I don't know why you want me to match with Steve Austin, because every time I face Steve Austin, I beat him every time I faced him. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it's so true, Brett, you did! You yeah. did! You know, because I'm, I'm such a Brett, huge Brett fan. Well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Brett now. And, That's uh, the best, yeah. Yeah, he's just the nicest guy in the world. And actually, pretty much my comedy highlight of my career is having him put me in a sharpshooter in a show, a comedy bar, and so we run a show called Rap Battles once a month. Uh, Miguel and Freddie Rivas run yeah, the show. Fantastic. And yeah. So people basically get wrestling entrances. Yes. And then they come out, you know, depending on who, what their character is, whether it's like science teacher versus math teacher or whatever. It's very wrestling oriented. Yeah, yeah, it's, but, but they, they get their entrances. They sometimes get like an escort to, to the, and, and we do it in the round instead of like on yes. stage. And so I was playing sort of a Vince type of character who kept, uh, you know, named Gary. Gary Phillips, who is the owner of the bar. And I kept coming in and saying that the crowd was ugly and they don't spend enough money and that I'm going to shut the show down. And, you know, just getting everyone booing and chanting you suck and all that kind of stuff. Just really being the heel for the show for a while. So Brett was in town and I was like, listen, I, I want to do this thing. I've been like, I keep threatening to cancel the show. So I'm going to bring a cease and desist letter that officially ends the show right now and yeah. turn, the, turn the lights on and send everyone home. And then you're going to come out and defend the guys. And he's like, great. And I was like, well, have a stare down and he's like he goes i don't know i'm not really good at those like I, I had to do one with austin at mania and i almost cracked and i was like okay i'll crack first and he's like okay and then, oh i can't even believe he's so good stare down yeah yeah so we did a stare down and then and then basically we had to do a sharpshooter and he's like okay how are we gonna get into it like we're, we're practicing before the house comes in andrada's in the booth like losing it because, yeah. like i'm like mark mark and he's looking looking from the booth he's like you son of a bitch right because i'm like practicing a sharpshooter right yeah so you know i think brett because he's like because of his his the way he's, his insurance works and stuff he's not allowed even the times that he's gone back to wwe over the years and everything like i think since his stroke because of his insurance he's not actually allowed to go in the ring and wrestle but like mm -hmm. he can be around and do stuff so you know we had to figure out a way to get you know and he was waiting on a knee surgery i think at the time too so we're like we have to do this in a way so basically we did, we did a thing where he's like he comes out asks the crowd what he should do right like the crowds first of all he came out his music hits he comes out the crowd goes bonkers they're like slapping the walls, just going crazy. And then uh, he's like, I, he tears up the letter. Everyone goes crazy. And then he's like, you know, what should I do to this guy or whatever? And I was like, I get down and start begging on my hands and knees. And then I basically try to crab crawl away from him in the circle, which leaves my foot open to him. Yeah. To just reach down, grab my leg, drag me back to the middle, flip me over, put the sharpshooter on. There's like flashes from cameras going off. And, and then like Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah, Freddie holds the mic to my face. He's like, can we keep our show? I'm like, yeah, you keep your show, keep your show. Like, I'm just like, you know, as if like, I'm just selling the hell out of it too right and it's yeah. like it was great it was it was honestly such a comedy highlight forever and it's like no i was there yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but i'm i'm not gonna say that i'm gonna let you tell the story for the listeners yeah, of course because yeah. it's a great moment yeah i worked with freddie at the lone star back in the day oh right right and freddie was like hey you gotta come around <laughs> tonight well, he's like i'm not gonna i can't say but 
you just got to come to rap battles tonight. You know, and so I was he like, didn't tell you. He didn't tell me. And I, I was one of those people that was going nuts in yeah. the audience. Unlike when you brought Brett in for the Skechersons for Sunday Night Live, for those of you who don't know, well, obviously you don't know if you're listening, chances are, uh, Gary has produced um, Canada's version of Saturday Night Live, Sunday Night Live. And uh, how long has it been? 15, 17 years now? 2004, January 4th, 2004 was the first show and it's been going every Sunday since. January 4th, 2004. Yeah, yeah. So, so 13 years? 13 years. So 13 years every Sunday, exact same format as Saturday Night Live, new show every week, new host, new musical guest. It, it, it's 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 incredible and the and the list of guests that you've had over the years a lot of amazing guests uh and and you know and the cast itself has turned over over the years but but everyone seems to go on and work in the industry so it's really been it's a kind of like the canadian it is like the canadian silent live like yeah it, it you know i mean again we don't we're not trying to like say it's an original format or whatever like you know and and saturday Night live knows that we use the format they didn't stop us no but it's like it is just a tool for everyone to get the reps in and get that you know exercise that muscle and that's why everybody, you know, uh, gets jobs in the industry after that, especially as writers. Like so much of our cast has gone on to, to do work as writers and, and creating content. And yeah. two, two of the original cast members and myself write the the Jericho series. Yeah. So, so this is, yeah, or but I'm Chris Jericho. It's, yeah, but that's I'm right. Chris Jericho, right? But I'm Chris Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen the first uh, season. And uh, the first season's fantastic. I saw it on uh, YouTube when it first came out, obviously. And I, I'm a big fan of Jericho. Oh, well, listeners on the show know Jericho is like my, he's in my top five greatest of all time. And he's, uh, oh, he is fantastic. Actually, I was just listening to him today on the way here. I, I think like, his podcast is fantastic. I think I want to go on the cruise because the cruise we're, is, we're joking about going all the producers today. We're like doing editing right now in season two, which is a nugget. I'm slipping. Cause I think CBC wants to say that we're doing season two and not he's me. He's already but slipped on his Instagram though. He, well, he did on the first day he was putting stuff out and CBC was like, uh, can you wait? <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, they wanted to do a big launch for it, but yeah, it, it was, he didn't say it flat out, but he was like posting photos with all the cast being back together. And like, people were like, Oh my God, season two. Too. I'm like, yeah, it's, we're doing it. So it's exciting because, like, you hear how excited he is about it when he talks about it on his podcast, the passion he has for that. And he's talked about it on numerous episodes, especially when he had Andy Kindler on because he went off about Scott Thompson. And he's like, Scott Thompson, he just wanted a mustache. He didn't even look <laughs> at the script. He's like, I just need a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Scott day was so nuts. It was a, it was a nutty dance set. Scott was shooting Hannibal at the time. So he was like really busy. And so, the reality of that situation was Scott was really busy shooting Hannibal. We had him for a day. He came in, he'd scribbled a bunch of notes over top of the script in terms of changes he wanted to make. Yeah. He'd scribbled so many changes over it. He couldn't even read his own changes. <laughs> and therefore he didn't, he hadn't really learned it because he'd changed it so much. Yeah. So he kind of knew the, he obviously knew the gist of what it was, but basically when you watch that episode, you, you have to ima imagine I'm right next to the lens, miming the next bit for each one of his lines. Yeah, like reminding him what the next part is for him because uh, because he had all these beats he wanted to hit. But, you know, it's funny, like, you know, Chris is praising Scott for what he was doing. But but Chris does the same thing, like in terms of wrestling, it's like they get the gist and then they just can say so much with like imagine 
I mean, it's like doing years of stand-up comedy for mm-hmm. you too, right? Like imagine speaking and not being able to finish your thought or stuttering through your th- thought. You, you would never be able to do that if you, you, you would never be able to be a professional wrestler if, if you can't talk. Yes. You know, and it's like, so the skill learned in, in being like, okay, I basically have to cut a promo or like, you know, the scene is basically about this. It's, it's very similar. So is Jericho, is his scripts for this, are they beat points or is it improvised or is he like, or is it all scripted and he's a decent actor? Yeah, it's fully scripted because... Uh, that's how you work with a network. They mm-hmm. have to approve. I mean, I think unless you're like making Veep and yeah. you know, you're allowed to sort of beat out episodes uh, on a show like that. But yeah, no, they're fully scripted. And then basically you have room while you're shooting to play with it. So you let every, you let the actors massage it. Chris would call us over all the time and be like, Hey, I don't think I would say this. I think I'll say something more like this. And you you talk you talk it through with each other you're like as long as that doesn't mess up any logic later in the series then change it however you want that suits your character right yeah and and sometimes again because of what scott did and because of how much he loved how the scott episode turned out he wanted us everyone to be looser in season two so he's a little looser and he's a little looser and it's like that some real gold came out of that but again you need you need to read the whole thing and know where it has to get to which is what doing Sunday Night live is like as well like i love sketch comedy where we all know what the beginning middle and end is so if you change the line to get a better laugh you can do it as long as you don't pull the rug out on the logic of the scene yeah. you know and where it gets to and it's like like that's the same thing in wrestling. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't, you, the storyline has to last beyond tonight's episode. You can say, you can change what you're saying, but you can't change it in a way that ruins what the, the logical, you know, climax of the storyline is. Yeah. We or still have to get there. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or else they're going to have to rewrite the whole thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. In a similar situation, I had, I've always wondered this when I was with Ted DiBiase for last week's issue. Um, we talked about the night that Hulk Hogan lost about, with the under the giant and Ted DiBiase buying the giant and then uh, having the two refs there. Yeah. And I said, uh, I said, you know, it's just such a diabolical plan that, you know, as you're watching, it's like, Oh my God, Ted DiBiase has so much money that he went out and he found out he hired a private eye to find out that this guy, the referee has a brother twin brother and then he went and found where that twin brother was abducted him brought him back kidnapped him kept him somewhere then he kidnapped the original brother put him in a broom closet and he had to, obviously this one probably was not a referee so he had to go to referee school to learn how to become a ref it's such a process like this is a year in advance he's planning this yeah and then all of a sudden he switches the refs and then the other ref comes out and then there's a meeting between the two refs and Hulk Hogan realizes Oh my God, there's two refs. Then then he throws the bad ref because one of the ref, Earl hits Dave. So that's what I thought happened. But then Hogan comes in afterwards with an interview and he's like, there were two refs. There were two refs. And then he says this line, he goes, how much for the plastic surgery? I was like, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. Sorry, that's gonna pop that mic. That's, that's all right. So funny. But Ho- wait, Hogan isn't even on the same conspiracy theory that I'm on. Yeah, Hogan thinks there's no brother. He went out and found a random person, the exact same size as Earl Habner or Dave Habner, and put a face on him, like face off. Yeah, and put a face on him. Then taught him how to referee. That's what. And I said to Ted, I was like Ted. So I said, so as I'm saying all this to Ted, I was like, my question is. 
is everything scripted or did Hogan just ad lib that line? Because it totally takes the story a whole different direction. And he's laughing. He's like, I think Hogan ad libbed that. Yeah. And I was like, that's the greatest ad lib ever. <laughs> like, it's just, no, just when you thought one thing, yeah. boom, this involves an evil doctor doing plastic surgery and a man who doesn't want it. That's so insane. That's so funny. You know, talk, talking about that, but I, I was just going to go back to Jericho for a second and mm -hmm. say, like, as a wrestler, not about the show or anything, like, I just think, you know, you were putting him in your top five, and I'm like, it's incredible how many creative elements he's been able to bring to, to wrestling and reinvent himself every time he comes back or add, add a new, you know... Always. New merch, new gimmick. He always uh, knew there's a, there's a new doll every year. Yeah. That's why you have to keep fresh. So it's ridiculous. The the list being a whole new thing or like figuring out catchphrases that people are gonna glom onto. It's like the 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 ability how many people have been able to do that that many times and, and have it work every time. You know, he's so amazing and like he he borrows a lot of catchphrases and stuff like that too. However, they're not his big ones. Like, you know, like he loves to emulate Paul Stanley, like, you know, where he'll be like, even on his, t on his talk show, the way he says people, he'll say, hello, people. And that's Paul Stanley. Yeah. Or he'll do David Lee Roth because he's just such a, a rock nerd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll do David Lee Roth. Like I've heard him say, look at all the people here tonight. But the Ayatollah of rock and roll is rock and roll Buck Zumhoff from the AWA. And he knows that because yeah. he's from Winnipeg and that's an AWA territory. So it's just like when you see him use that, which is great. I love that he's given it new life yeah. to a better character because Buck Zumhoff was just a guy with a ghetto blaster. He was not the Ayatollah <laughs> of rock and roll. He was a guy with a Columbia House fucking membership. That's yeah. all he had. Yeah. So, But Jericho, I loved how he his career, it seems to be bookend with lists. Because in WCW, when he was a cruiserweight, Lionheart Chris Jericho, whom I've loved, he had the list of a thousand and four folds yeah. holds to counter Dean Malenko's the man of a thousand holds. Yeah. And then of course that legendary Nitro where he just read off the list. Yeah. Which was great. And then now uh, here we are at the end of his career, and it's been rejuvenated. Like his last tenure in the WWE. I think was his best ever. He feels he feels like it was it was a great run for him too. Like I was talking to him about it when we were shooting season two, and he's like, he goes, I, I honestly, he goes, it's the healthiest I felt through a whole run. Like uh, he goes, I just feel great. I didn't even feel worn down. Like I, f I felt like my matches were good. There was good heat for for everything we were doing. Oh. Everything was going over, and like, and I feel physically good. Like I, you know, I didn't run into any injuries or anything. And like, you know, you see, he was he was really happy with how it went. And like, well, he, I just thought it was going to end at the Dean Ambrose feud, and then somewhere along the way, him and Kevin Owens developed this chemistry. Yeah, that is probably the greatest chemistry between wrestlers I've seen since maybe Austin and Vince McMahon. Yeah, like such a chemistry that's so good. The night that he did the Festival of Friendship, I thought it's really too bad wrestlers aren't awarded Emmys because <laughs> Chris Jericho is so entertaining when he's marching down the stairs with his fedora and he's doing his jazz dance as he's, as he's coming down the ramp yeah. and his big smile. That made me laugh so much. Well, I was at the raw the night after, um, the Survivor, the Survivor series. series. Yes. And 
So like he did the bit where he comes out and interrupts Kevin Owens match or whatever. And then they, they pull the mask off and like reveal. Yeah. And you know, acting and wrestling has to be so much like not so much bigger, but it's bigger. It's it's the same thing when you go to auditions, right? They tell you as an actor, like for the stage is big for TV is smaller and for film is even smaller than that. And that's because on film, the camera's the, a lot closer on your face. So your movements can be more subtle. TV is sort of more of a medium uh, shot. So like you need to move your face more live, you know, on a stage, you really need to be expressive so that everyone sees your expressions. So imagine doing that for 20,000 people in an arena. You've got to be big yeah and so when they peeled his mask off and he was like caught and like did the big look around like i was crying laughing i texted him i was like dude that's hilarious like, yeah so funny oh it was so good and it was even it was it was great as well when they they teased that they were gonna break up that night yeah and then uh that if you listen back when they're like they're like gonna say you know who they're gonna get you know who they're gonna get and you think it's gonna be uh kevin owens and then i yelled out Roman Reigns, <laughs> and you can hear the yell. You can yeah. hear me yell because I was down pretty low. I got my sign on Raw that night. Here I am, forty-three, bringing a sign to Raw. Did you not like the the main event that night too? Like Seth, Seth Rollins, Rollins versus uh, Owens? Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. That jump off the top where the uh, ridiculous the Zamboni came out like that was that, that was, was ridiculous. I think that was like row twelve or something. Like that's pretty high jump. It was a real high jump. I'll just say those two nights I went to the SmackDown. I went to the Survivor Series. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, Survivor Series was amazing. I love the ending. Like I looked at people's faces, I was laughing so hard. I was oh like, "This God. is this is great." Well, not in a million years did I expect that. I wanted Goldberg to, to go to Suplex City. I wanted to watch him take about ten to thirteen suplexes. This isn't going to be popular, but like I was so glad it went the way it did because. So am I. But but also because like I'm not a fan of uh, Brock's. No? Nah. He's so in, in that match alone, in that short match, I don't think Brock gets enough credit for his selling. Yeah. His facials that he makes are fantastic. And when you see him sell, like when he gets speared and he gets up, that look on his face is yeah. just is fantastic. He doesn't do those looks in that, UFC. That, that's fair. I'll give you that. He's just, a really good seller. Underestimated yeah. as a seller. I don't know what it is. Like, I'm just, I just find him so boring now. Like well, his problem is, is there's nobody there to kick the shit out of him. But now Braun Strowman's there. Yeah. And so this upcoming match on this upcoming pay-per-view, you know, you're not, you never see Brock really have to sell. And what I loved about that Goldberg match was WWE, I felt, ruined Goldberg. I was, I sometimes, Goldberg is like the new Ultimate Warrior for me, or was like the new Ultimate Warrior, where there were moments where I get caught up in the Ultimate Warrior and the fandom and, and the craze around it, and I loved it. Like, I can't say he didn't influence me. Like, when I was in high school, I ran a, a high school student council campaign, called myself the Ultimate Candidate. Yeah. And I ran in to give my speech, <laughs> like the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Like, I pressed a guy yeah. before I did my speech Amazing. and dropped him. Yeah, that got me all votes. Nobody cared about my idea for Saturday <laughs> Live Day. I was yeah. running for school secretary. I'm not even supposed to have ideas for days. I'm just supposed to take minutes. That's amazing. So I can't say that I hated the Ultimate Warrior, but Goldberg was the same. Like I remember before I would uh, go do comedy sets in the early in the early night, like the late '90s. I was in the dressing room and I would be like Goldberging it up, doing his motions, oh, trying yeah. to get psyched up. Yeah, I wasn't headbutting mirrors or anything. The but. streak in WCW was amazing, and. 
then it felt like at a certain point it crossed over and became a caricature of itself and or like in somewhere in WWE when they were doing it I just didn't I don't know like you said they they ruined him I think I they, well WWE first thing they did was Vince had to put his spin on Goldberg which was we're changing his look yeah which was Goldberg's look and we're gonna put those tights on him we're gonna give him white tights mm-hmm. or we're gonna give him white trim yeah and I hated that and then I'm gonna put his logo his tattoo logo on his ass and like it it was horrible. But what happened was his WWF tenure really shattered his WC and tarnished his WCW as far as I was concerned. But when he came back, it was different. And what they gave us was not WWE Bill Goldberg. They gave us a traditional WCW Bill Goldberg squash match. Yeah. And nobody expected that no no and that's was, what i got was i felt i didn't feel like i was watching goldberg in 2002 no i felt like i was watching goldberg in 1998 yeah it was amazing it was amazing and you know what we were talking about wcw at that time and brett and it's like you know saying nothing good happened and i do really feel like he was misused i feel like oh he was it was you know you had a perfect opportunity with a guy named the hitman to have him start picking apart these yeah, factions you know, I would have loved if he didn't have a match for six months. If he just came out and like took guys out during their other matches, you know what I mean? Literally have him be a hitman for a while. Like, and have him be elusive and hard to get. Like, have him start, because like the faction thing, I lo- obviously I loved when NWO started. Yes. But then it got ridiculous when there were like three NWOs and like. It got ridiculous when there was one NWO and Virgil was in it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, come on, man. I saw Virgil at Just for Laughs this year hanging out with... Uh, he was part of um, Russell Peters' entourage. What? Because Russell needs a Virgil? V- Russell had, like, you know, all his, like, regular DJs and dudes with him. And then Virgil. I don't know what was Virgil's happening. Virgil's a teacher. Yeah, I don't know. He's a teacher. Like, Ted DiBiase does not speak highly of Virgil. Yeah. He said... Uh, I asked him if he got if he thought he got a fair return on his investment of Nikolai Volkov for one <laughs> cent and he said I got more of an investment out of Nikolai than I did from Virgil Ooh. so and he's also said in his act that Virgil's elevator doesn't go to the top floor it is more to it Virgil uses Ted's name a lot yeah and uh they're not really talking I don't think I you know I think just thinking at that time like how they brought like, like it was tough. Again, Brett rose to the top at WWE because those all those physically large guys that Vince likes left and were in WCW. Yeah. And then a guy Brett's size could be a champ. Brett really did introduce the like whole fighting with the, with Vince thing. And rev- like, you know, Steve Austin took it to the next level. Well, I say like on Vin- in, Vin- in Brett's last year. Whether, you know, they say it's a time-honored tradition to put people over as you're going out. Yeah. Well, you know, for a guy who wouldn't drop a title, he sure as hell put a lot of people over before he left, including Stone Cold. He made Stone Cold WrestleMania 13. Yeah, and he, and you know, Brett talks about it too. He loved his rivalry with Stone Cold. He said, like, they loved, he, and he said to him, like, he, you know, 
Brett's super smart about wrestling, man. Yes. Obviously, like it's it's obviously in the blood, and like he just understands it so well. And still today, like he he watches and he'll talk about which guy is throwing good punches and which guy is not throwing good punches. You know, like he's like the punches need to like connect. Like this, he yeah. goes, some of these guys are not connecting, and and it's obvious. Like you know, so he he'll know and like he, he, whatever he'll he's really aware of it, and he's like he's really aware of building storylines and stuff and it's like he said to austin he's like hey we're gonna make this a thing let's keep this going this is gonna be big you know and it's like he he knows he when he like so on the way out he he builds austin he and then he creates mcmahon yeah and then he leaves and all of a sudden what's the feud for the next five to ten years is they they ran 10 years on mcmahon versus austin almost yeah it really should have been Brett versus McMahon. And it was a little bit. It was a little bit, but it, it was like, because that last year, here's the thing. He invented doing it. Austin did it in a way where he was like, I don't give a shit. And Brett's was a little more like whiny and you owe me this. Yes. And it was like, I, I, I honestly didn't love that version of Brett, even though I loved that he created that way of storytelling. Yeah. But it seemed like. It was, I don't know, it was too new and winery or what. It made him like like whiny, like, you know. I think, well, I can understand because that's what people always said. Bret Hart's always whining. But to me, it's just like he wasn't whining more or less stating his case because it was it was the truth. He wasn't lying. Like, And it's always funny, too, like when you look at it because basically that screw job came down to a choice between Bret and Sean. And, you know. They let go of Brett, but by the next WrestleMania, Sean was done. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what bothers me the most about it is because then Brett goes to WCW and everything flounders. And you wonder if they would have chose Brett, the world could be different. Yeah. You know, like, well, you could have kept, you could have kept Brett and Austin going for a long while too. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Not to mention the new guys that they brought in eventually and the guys that they elevated, like Brett and the rock could have had some great things going on. You know, it's just too bad that things happened the way they did. And the stroke happened as well, because you know, like it would have been, or it would have been great at the end of those three years for him to come back. I, here's the thing. I don't mean he was whiny. He was my favorite wrestler. He's my favorite of all time. Yeah. Yeah, he's my favorite wrestler. I just meant that, like, I didn't like that other people were able to say that. Or that other somehow other people like Shawn Michaels more. Because that makes me mental. I'm like, were you watching wrestling through this, like, through your eyes, using your brain? Especially when it was a Canadian that liked Shawn Michaels. I was like, he put the Canadian flag up his nose. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, you can't even do anything. You can't desecrate the American flag in any way. You do not go in the States. A Canadian cannot put this Canadian American flag up his nose. Yeah. Oh, my God. The outrage. Even though they'll market the American flag and put it in underwear. <laughs> but, you know, you yeah. cannot put it up your nose. Yeah. It was, you know, I mean, whatever. It was what it was. But, it, yeah, it's too bad it didn't work out a little differently. Yeah. When you brought Brett into. Uh, so, Brett, you brought him into Sunday Night Live. Yes. To host that. That's why I brought up Sunday Night Live to yeah. get going. We that did. was given to me as a birthday gift. Uh, my roommate. To come to the show? Yeah, she came to the show. It was in October. <laughs> yeah. My birthday's in October. And she said, we got you these tickets. And she um, and she used to be the host of uh, White Boat Canada. I specifically told her, I was like, look, at Brett likes brunettes. So, like, I asked her if she could dress a certain way. Because that way <laughs> I would be able to get to Brett easier. Yeah. If she just introduces me. And uh, she was wearing, like, black tight jeans, black leather jacket, 
pink bustier. Okay. Hot pink. I'm like, right. yeah, you're dressed in his color. Yeah, you're dressed as Bret Hart. You're dressed as Bret <laughs> And basically, like, big lineup around him. And I'm really nervous. And not only that, not, not about to meet Bret, but the show itself that night was really good. It was, And Bret was really good. He was really good. The show was good. Yeah, man, he crushed it. And, like, since the, you know, after that, we started getting him to guest in more stuff, too. Like, I had him judge Catch-23, the improv show, and then we ended up putting him in some improv scenes. Like, that we would pull, for the third round, we'd just pull him off the judge's desk and put him in the scenes. And it's like, he's quick, man. He was like, yeah. he, he, he said some hilarious things, you know, like, just off the top of his head. And I'm like... It's all there, you know, like he's funny, man. And so, yeah, I, I think in that first show, I wrote a sketch called like Bret Hart's Arts and Crafts or something like that. And yeah. he was like, he was showing off like a plate with macaroni noodles. And he's like, look, I made it myself. <laughs> I know. Like, it was, well, there were so many sketches that were funny. That, that was funny. Uh, there, there was a memorable one where, um, what is her name? Who the little, the little girl? She's from Ottawa originally, I think. Uh, one of the Sketchersons. I can't remember who was there at the she time. She played Shawn Michaels in a sketch. Oh, Sarah Hillier, yes. Sarah Hillier. Yeah, she was Shawn Michaels. And she came out as Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> this was so funny, but so good. She, she's like five feet, maybe five feet tall. It was, look it, they had Bret Hart come out as a midget on Raw. Yeah. This was like the equivalent I felt in my mind that was like so funny having a girl dance around and then her outfit was homemade but it was so good. So we had made those I think for the year before we all picked uh, 90s era wrestlers to go to the comedy bar Halloween party. So we knew she had that costume and her her husband now Andy Hall has an incredible Ric Flair costume he made at home. I do. I have seen it. Yeah. I've seen pictures like, it's so the blue it's, robe, right? Yeah, blue yeah. robe. Yeah, like fully diamond encrusted and says flair. Like he he made it and he's got a great wig for it and great trunks with, that are that he did the the, the, the rhinestones on the RF. Yeah. It's like so we all we all did it for Halloween that year. So I think we knew we had it. And then yeah, she she played Oh, so uh, good. Yeah, and then I had them do that for the comedy awards after. Like I had Brett present an uh, award for the comedy awards and I had Sarah come at Shawn Michaels so first. And the bread comes. You already know that it works. And there was another sketch too, where um, which is funny because like it was like a dating. It was like a dating sketch where uh, each had a dating coach. Like uh, Brett had a dating coach. Yeah. And then um, maybe it was Laura might yeah. have had a dating coach. And then <laughs> it didn't go as well. And then Brett's the punchline at the end was like, "Well, I guess I really did screw myself." Yeah, <laughs> was yeah. the punchline. And I just remember the crowd popping, and like Brendan McKeegan bootlegged the whole show on his camera, and he won't even give me a copy. Really? I was like, Brendan, give me a copy of that. I would love to see some of that. Yeah. Brendan McKeegan, if you're listening, Gary Rideout is going to sue your ass no, or no, just I'd, love to, to see I'd it. love to see it though. I'd love to see, cause I, that was a couple of years ago now. I think Brett hosted a second time. Mm -hmm. uh, then we had him do the improv show a couple times. He came another time uh, with Roddy Piper to the bar wow. and they, and they both guested on uh, catch 23 together and did some improv scenes. And How then they, not they, they, did, they did man town, the improv show. And like Roddy was just, he was going for it. And the man town, 
some guys were like, how do we, this is like, how do you stop this guy? Like he is, he just went off. It was nuts. But I'll tell you the best thing that first night that you were waiting to talk to Brett, he stuck around for two and a half hours and like people snaked in a lineup through the bar. He waited and met every single person, had a small chat with them. And I kept checking in with him being like, Hey, if this is too much for you, let me know. Or if you want to take off or if you want, you know, and he was like, no, this is great. Like he loves his fans. He loves meeting people. I drove him home uh, to his hotel at the end of the night and we stopped at a Tim Hortons and he got like uh, a chicken salad sandwich and a milk. And then the guy behind the counter was like oh my god you're Bret Hart I grew up in it's like one in the morning on a Sunday in a Tim Hortons and this guy's like I grew up in Egypt you were my hero as a kid the guy's like crying he comes around the counter gets a picture of Bret and I'm like this must be like this must be his life all day every day." day yeah and he's just so sweet and just handles it. Like I saw it with Ted DiBiase. We walked in at uh, Bob Evans the next morning. I went to Detroit, drank with him the night before, went to my hotel. We went to breakfast the next day, did the podcast after breakfast. We walk into Bob Evans. This one black guy comes in. He's like, oh, no. Ain't no way. Million dollar man. No way. No way. No million dollar man going to see in my section tonight. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And it was like so funny. It was so exciting. And then uh, my buddy Ryan Denis was like, would you like a picture? And he looks at his boss. He's like, can I? And she's like, yes. And he gets a picture. He's like, you bring the million dollar bill? You know, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then uh, the guy, like the guy was starstruck. And then during breakfast, we had three different people come up to our table. Yeah. And just tell, uh, say, hey, you were a big part of my childhood. And just yeah. thank you for entertaining me. Yeah. I couldn't, like, I, I just couldn't believe it. So. Uh, but his patience for that or the patience these guys have for that and and how big they were at that like that's the thing like wrestling's great now or whatever but it's hard to to stand out the way those guys did at that time there were such larger than life personalities and such unique characters that you were like I know this guy these are the eight or ten guys that everyone knows and they're you know now there's a bunch of guys and it's like they're good it's i'm not trying to like you know yeah. shit on it now but it's different they're not and no. it, it's probably there, there probably are more people watching now than there were then it's different though it's more accessible yeah and there are more brands that's right and not everybody's watching wwe yeah you know the ring of honor is very popular new japan is very popular yeah. all the indies are all popular you could go to indie wrestling in toronto they're packed shows, yeah. You know, and yeah. and they're fun. Who else have you had at a comedy bar, like wrestling wise? Besides, uh, so you've worked with Jericho's, obviously done Sunday Night Live as well. Yeah, Jericho. That's how we first met. Jericho hosted Sunday Night Live. Then I told him I had this idea for a show about him, you know, being out of wrestling and trying to be an actor. And it took us seven years later. We had the first season ordered. Yeah. From when I first told him the idea, and then it's been three years since the first season aired. Now the first season was was with Shaw. And now CBC has picked it up and we're getting to do this second season and it has a more narrative arc to it. The first season was kind of standalone sketches mm-hmm. and this has more of a narrative flow to it. So I'm really excited for people to see it. Um, 
but yeah, that's been so that's like three years and it's ten years to make like twelve web episodes or you know what I mean or whatever. It's like it's crazy how long some things take sometimes, and you just want to get it ordered and make a ton of it or whatever. But yeah, we had we had uh, Brett's been there a bunch. Uh, Roddy came in and did stuff with Brett. Mick Foley's been there. Mick Foley's fantastic. Uh, yeah, there was at, at, there was a time where I was talking to Brett about you know directing a show for brett roddy and mick to tour together they wanted to do a a storytelling show where the three of them went on tour doing storytelling and they wanted me to help them put it together yeah and so i was i was working on a concept i wanted to work on a concept so that there was some kind of narrative structure that that like uh you know ran throughout the show so it was more than just a storytelling show because you can just sell hey these wrestlers are coming to this gym to talk to you uh, tell old stories right but what i wanted was to have a theatrical feel about it so we could tour theaters and you know charge a few more dollars for it and actually make it a full experience so what i wanted to do was it was uh this was based on the premise was that it was set at a time when they were all in wwe together Mm -hmm. and they were snowed in at brett's house in calgary like and so it was going to be the three of them at his house you know what i mean so i just wanted a couch on the stage and a lamp and then uh, a microphone off to the side and we would do like sort of little sketches between the storytelling uh, and play a few videos that we shot we were going to shoot some video sketches of these guys like trying to be roommates while they're stuck in a you know blizzard or whatever and then they would each take their turn and go over and tell their stories at the microphone and so that was the concept and we were you know going back and forth and talking about it and it was just it was just a little housing so that they could each go and do their storytelling right yeah and then it would be a Q&A after or whatever and unfortunately you know uh, Roddy passed and and it sort of fell apart that's too bad yeah it would have been a really fun show and like again I'm not trying to make these guys all actors and do sketch comedy I just thought it'd be very fun to create this like but they are actors but they are but but i mean you know i'm not i'm, I'm not gonna get someone to judge their sketches versus will ferrell doing a sketch or something you know no, what i mean yeah. i just want it to be a little bit of like a comedic theatricality that that helps carry us through you know 75 minutes of hearing them each like you know the other two guys would would go off and yeah. one guy would go tell a bunch of stories then they go do a little scene like it's a few hours have passed and they're like you know bored stuck in this house and they have a little thing about you know whatever and then they go back and do another story and it, then it's a little more entertaining you know yeah you know there is a little more entertainment to just the storytelling you know it's like hey not just wrestling has the storytelling aspect as well as the wrestling and this is a little more offering than just the wrestlers there's a little more you know meat with the potatoes type thing yeah well like i think brett has in one of his books the story and he but i always i've had him tell it in person at least two or three times because it's such a funny story about you know when they were on a flight to uh, uh japan or whatever and then mr perfect put a laxative in yokozuna's food and then yokozuna had to shit on the plane and they had to like lay newspapers on the ground and hold up a sheet and this guy had diarrhea on the plane and just reeked out the plane or whatever and it's like that's a a hilarious and terrible story but like he tells it so well and i'm like you know that's probably one of his stories that's you know they probably each get two stories yeah you know and then and then in between they rotate through doing their stories and then you do a couple little scenes where they're like you know 
pissed off at each other as roommates or whatever. And, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's the show, right? So it would have been really fun to work on. But, uh, you know, Mick's, Mick's going around doing some stand-up and stuff. Like, his storytelling is really good. Yeah, his storytelling is great. He wants to do, like, he's, he said to me that he wants to do more stand-up stand-up. Yeah. But, you know, the fans that show up want to hear more and more wrestling stories. So, you know, the only guy that's really doing the stand-up stand-up is Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, Dolph's been at the bar. And he's performed there as well. Has yeah. he done? Yep. He was just in, um, I think, uh, where was he? He was just at the comedy strip, Ricky Bronson strip in Arizona, I think, or no, where the Mall of America is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was just there. And uh, my buddy was telling me, yeah, he did he did pretty good and stuff like that. I would imagine he's pretty funny. I don't know him, but uh, but yeah, he seems to be like, you know, he's out there. Yeah, he's he trying did. to do actual stand-up yeah, comedy. Yeah, this was a couple years ago. He did, you know, a pretty short set, and most of it was good. Like, like 75, 80% of the set was good stuff that he could, you know, continue to craft. I think he had one joke that he tried and it didn't go anywhere and it didn't work. But you're like, yeah, man. And you, you know, you're trying, that's what this is about. Dude, Richard Dreyfus got up on stage a couple weeks ago at Absolute Comedy I when I was there. Like, he, he doesn't do comedy either, but yeah. he's trying to. Now yeah. he wants to, whether he's researching a role or not, he's done it once or twice. He's got the bug. And now he wants to get on stage and do it more. It's yeah. just like, there is something like, you know, I would imagine it's the same in wrestling. When you get a pop in the ring or when you walk out there and the audience pops, that must be the greatest feeling in the world. Oh. How do you chase that? Yeah, of course. And you know that, you, you, you know, that, that reaction you get from an audience, whatever it is, exactly. you know, but, but, but wrestling and, and comedy are like that, where you get immediate reactions for the work that you put out. Yeah. I think that's what makes them similar. Well, dr dramatic acting as well. Like if, if you're, if you're trying to command, a, if you're commanding a performance that gets the audience to cry or laugh or whatever, if you elicit a response, it gives, it gives you that power. Yeah. And you feel that. Yeah. Uh, it's so yeah, so true. it's it's there, you know. It's it's um I a hundred percent I could see how like if the, if you physically are unable to wrestle anymore or if you were just you, you know, or just whatever, you you run your course or whatever and it's like you there's this other way to also elicit a response from people, yeah, you're gonna pursue that as well. You know, we're talking about Jericho, he's also a rock star, which he's elicits everything. a response. He's he's a rock star, he's yeah. a, he everything that I love. He's great at no. He's he's a, he's, he's a rock star. Is Judas? This is his best song. Although they have other great songs that yeah, I love, yeah. like uh, Tonight. Oh my God, I love that song. Um, you want to start a war? Is so great. I like Fozzy. Their last couple albums are solid. He's a great podcaster. He's he, a, you know he hosts that game show. It was like. He's just a consummate professional. His books. Yeah. For, I'm gonna, I can't wait to buy his new book. It's gonna, I want it to motivate me. Um, my dream show on this podcast, and I've said it before, is after listening to an episode of Chris Jericho, he was talking about Degrassi. So I was like, oh my God, he loves Degrassi. So I called Michelle Shaughnessy, yeah. who her boyfriend is, is Stefan Brogren. And I was like, I need to talk to Snake. If I can get Chris Jericho to meet the cast of Degrassi on my podcast, yeah. that would be the greatest thing ever. And I said, Do, would Snake be able to call Joey and uh, Caitlin to see if this was possible? The other night I saw him, he was like, I could do it. 
I could get them to do the podcast. I was like, well, now I just need to get Chris Jericho and a live venue and then some sort of way where we can give all the money to a charity to get yeah. some, get something behind it. Cause yeah. I'm going to benefit from the podcast. Yeah. Like Chris Jericho could just well, say, and the tough thing is that, you know, I mean, the tough thing is, do you guys share a podcast? Cause he's going to want that to be his podcast. Well, this is what I'm, this is my second thing that I say is like, eventually he should have that as the podcast, but if he's going to do it live, let's say at somebody's comedy bar, I would want to open for him and get him on my podcast in return. Because it's such a great idea. Okay. Or else you could just... Well, let's talk about it because I've already proposed the idea to him because he's being brought back to Toronto yes. for a promo day when season two launches. Oh, yeah. Or else... Um, I will say near the end of November, it's yeah. very possible that this could all happen. Well, this would be great. Yeah. And this isn't the reason why I got you on the show. <laughs> I was no, going to get on the show regardless, yeah. but, but you know, the, I had that as an idea and then I was like, well, why would he not want to take it for himself? If he's already done an episode on Canadian television and then he talked about Degrassi in it, of course he'd want to do it. I know he wants to meet these yeah. people, but I'm like, you could just as easily cast Caitlin in this, in, in, in the new series. Yeah. He would be over the moon. I bet. Yeah. You know, uh, if Kevin Smith gets to make out with her on Degrassi, why can't Chris Jericho? Yeah. And you know, we have, we have a Degrassi reference in season two as well. So, you know, I love uh, Degrassi. Yeah. Well, we got to run this down. I just want to, we, we didn't talk about what's going on now in wrestling at all. I was glad because I haven't watched in a couple of weeks and I was like, I thought it was going to get grilled. Well, we'll have to know. We'll have to get you back. Um, the only thing that's important that happened in wrestling this week, despite everything that's happened in wrestling is the passing of the greatest manager in my mind in wrestling history, Bobby, the brain Heenan. Yeah. Do you feel that he's the greatest manager or are you, some people argue Paul Heyman over Bobby Heenan, but Paul Heyman was never a wrestler. He couldn't do everything as well as Bobby. Yeah. And I just feel like I, I like that, that Paul Heyman has sort of brought it back to what it was and, it, and uses it as a device, especially obviously working with guys who can't do it for themselves yes. uh, or can't do it very well for themselves. And I think Bobby was really good for that as, as well, obviously, but man, he was just, he was such a great character, you know, like he was just, he just added such a dynamic to it when you're watching, like in the, you know, in the, I guess in the, in the age we were going through, through that era in wrestling, you're like, he had a wrestling doll. He was a manager and he had a doll. You don't realize how valuable he was until you realize that he could do it on the mic, whether it be in the ring or on the commentary or in the booth or in an interview. He could do it on the talk show. He could he could wrestle. The guy wrestled a series of matches against the Ultimate Warrior in a weasel outfit. He had to do this every night at a house show. Yeah. You know, Paul Heyman never had to do that. No. You know, Paul Heyman's greatest thing is. He, okay, he had ECW, but that's not his managing thing. That's that's technically real managing. But he had five world champions in his tenure as a manager. And he's also had, in the 90s, he had the stud stable, which was like uh, Austin, Medusa, Zabisco, uh, Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton. Those were like his things. But Bobby, the brain Heenan, has managed everyone yeah and maybe he didn't manage a champion a world champion in the wwe but his guys were constantly in the main events against hulk hogan well that's it he just you knew that if a guy became aligned with him that that was like now the bad guy yes you know it was like it was it was he was automatic you know and people are like oh well bobby had some misses and they're like brooklyn brawl i'm like but that was a joke 
Yeah. That wasn't even a thing. I'm like, a miss to me would be like, you know, Ken Patera was a miss for him because he beat up a couple uh, cops and went to jail. Yeah. So his potential didn't fully play out. Yeah. You know, but like, but, uh, everybody was a success. But what a guy for Vince to have. Yeah. To, to just go, oh, you're going to help me make this. Like, they needed guys to, to fight Hogan. They'd made Hogan, the, the you know, he was a god. Look at you needed... Turning Andre the Giant was Mike the greatest heel turn until Hulk Hogan turned NWO. But Andre the Giant turning, and y- you needed a mouth for Andre. Yeah. Because you can't understand. Nobody knows what he's saying. Yeah. But Bobby Heenan, you know, you listen to me, you go to the top. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it was the right. You know, I still say humanoids to this day. I still say ham and eggers, even though it's very close to a uh, racist, you know, yeah. you don't, A&W will put $11 ham and egger on their show, on their, on their marquee. I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't even, you know, it's a very tricky word to say, but humanoids is a fantastic word. Yeah. Um, Gary, what's going on this week with you? What do you have coming up? Uh, let me know where we can find you and let me know what's going on with you. Uh, it's uh, JFL 42 starts on Friday at Comedy Bar. Yeah. I got is, uh, four yeah. shows at the Cabaret with the new faces. There you go. Yeah, that's going to be super I'm fun. That. I'm not a new face. No, no. but you're face, a- The gray beard does not say new face, <laughs> which is, you know. It's always a new face to someone. It is. Well, it, it, I think it'll be a new face to a lot of the people that go to the show because I don't think they've ever seen me on that type of show that's right i'm excited to do that show and um yeah and what else so you got the new faces there what else do you have there um are the big like what are the do you have any big shows there i think morgan murphy is gonna be there oh yeah she's Um, great um sashir zameda who was on saturday Saturday live is gonna be there uh mark normand i uh, i can't remember uh they you know they're updating the schedule all the time because the way this festival works is if some if there's demand for someone they'll move them out of my place into a bigger venue their venues have been switching for jack whitehall was going to be in the royal theater now he's in the queen elizabeth theater exactly. makes it more difficult for me to get down there yeah you know but yeah. so, so that's so so the the, the uh, schedule is constantly fluctuating but we have shows in the main space at 7 9 and 11 every night and we have the cabaret at 8 and 10 every night and then uh, ian's running after hours shows mm-hmm. uh thursday friday saturday is where we think we'll get a lot of the festival guests to yeah. drop in and, and do late night sets and of course we have a 4 a.m license for the whole festival I was so to bring that up i'm like will, it, be, will the bar be open at four yeah it'll it'll be it will be the late night hangout for the festival as usual so you know i mean if you if people are fans of comics and they see them at a show earlier in the night and they want to actually meet them in person they'll probably be at the bar there later that night i'm probably gonna be at the bar smooching a lot because i need guests that know wrestling so i'm gonna be yeah. like talking i want to get brian pulsane that's who i'd like to get yeah when he's in town I've sent him an email, or not an email, a Facebook message, but I don't know if he's got it. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to try to track him down anyways, because I know he's in a... Anybody who wears a Roddy Piper shirt in their media pick yeah. for festivals, just, okay, that's someone I have to get on have the show. Have you had RJ on? No, I do want to get RJ City as well. Yeah. This is only my 12th episode. Okay, great. So I just started this. RJ's, RJ's awesome. He's yeah. a, he'd be a great guy to talk to. All right, fantastic. He's really funny. He does a lot of, like, I, we've been doing a lot of Jason Agnew's um, Two Strikes show. Mm-hmm. So Two Strikes is a, a elimination wrestling style show where it, a lot of wrestling fans come out to watch the show. Okay. And then 
uh, now uh, for the four big WWE events, we do like, so we did Survivor Strikes, Strikes a Mania, uh, and the same week, the Friday night, the late night Friday night slot of the weekend of a major event. Oh, okay. So, you know, we have uh, Rumble Strikes, uh, that we do the four majors. Yeah. And uh, we've had uh, Santino come do the show. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and RJ does the show. And Nug do, Nug does the show, yeah. And so, and you know, and Agnew's hosting, and it's all wrestling fans. There's a lot of belts in the crowd, and so I come out as a John Cena super fan every time. I literally have five different Cena T-shirts because Nug keeps getting me all these, like, you know, because he works John at Cena. WWE. Well, here's the thing. So we were doing a podcast called Monday Night Rossum or whatever for a little while, where we were just doing live audio commentary watching Raw. Oh yeah, we did it for a couple weeks a few years ago uh, with you know with Norm and Nug. And because uh, Norm was doing, uh, oh, Nug does aftermath or whatever, yes. and, and Norm was doing stuff for the score at the time, and so we, you know, every time Cena would at the time everyone hated Cena, and so then I would say I liked him, yeah. and every time he would come out, I would tell everyone to shut up so I could listen to everything John Cena had to say, right? Yeah, and it just became this joke where I was like, everybody shut up and That's let great. me listen to John Cena, and then. We were at wrestling one night and I was pretty loaded and I went out and bought full Cena gear, had to tell all the armbands, everything. And You're then keeping it, a kayfabe. Yeah. And everybody yeah. was laughing their heads off. And I was like, no, I love this dude. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Ardo was there. Do you remember Ardo Cal used to yeah, be? Of so Ardo so yeah, was, Ardo Cal. What was his WWE name? Uh, like John Spencer or something lame like that. Like yeah. it was like, I can't remember, but it, Ardo was at real sports after and I did a, you can't see me to him. Like I was super drunk. Thought it was so funny. I'm like, get out of here. And then you know, he's great, but like, I was just giving him a hard time. And yeah. then that was actually the first night we met Brett, hung out with him, traded contact info, got him to come back and do the show and stuff like that. And he's always in town doing charity work. So anytime he's here to do charity work, he, we also mix in some fun at the, at the bar. Yeah. So now I have all these like Cena, like all the Cena gear, I have light up Cena necklace, all this dumb shit. And so I always come out to Cena and then somebody brought their spinner belt for me. Oh my God. So I come out with a full spinner belt. The crowd hates me. Yeah. Uh, and it's, but the full crowd doing, uh, Cena sucks. Yeah. Do, Cena. Yeah. Yeah. Do, doing Cena. both sides of it. Like actually, cause, cause even if you were at the last time, the last, raw that was in town yeah. people were so split on him like i love that toronto is like coming around on him coming a little bit on him. yeah I, I used to hate him yeah but he's matured he's a different person he's a different wrestler and yeah. every time he leaves and he comes back he comes back and he has better matches i can't remember the last time i saw a bad john cena match and he's not being forced down your throat the way he was earlier on the way that reigns is you I know like it's that he's like part-time yeah yeah i like that he's like sort of does his own thing is well you know we'll end up you know having the belt again at times but it's not like you know he can he can wrestle in secondary matches and be just as uh, important to the kids and everything it doesn't have to be the number one guy on the card the whole time i don't think he's going to have another belt i don't think he wants to break rick flair's streak championship really rick flair has the most belts of all time yeah cena's one away i don't think he wants to tie him i think he has too much respect for rick flair to do that he doesn't want to be that guy. He doesn't want to, who wants to be the guy that knocks Ric Flair off, especially but, now. But, he, but he's he's still pretty young. He has so many years left. How is he not going to have a championship run again? He's going to go into Hollywood and he's going to do exactly what The Rock did. I don't know if he can fully make the crossover as well as The Rock has. Though he yeah. was great in Trainwreck or whatever. He's great in the comedies that, that they put him in and the, what they give him and what to do. What, yeah. what he does with what little he has. Yeah. He's great. What loved about Trainwreck was 
he basically played Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. Because, you know, that Dolph Ziggler and Amy Schumer used to date. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. Like, Dolph Ziggler's character, he even loses to John Cena. Like, yeah. Ugh, yeah. Well, and it's funny to me, like, I mean, look... We see The Rock now, and he's, like, a part of, like, major movies. He had to do things like The Tooth Fairy and a bunch of crappy movies yeah. before he got to do Escape good movies. Escape to Wish Mountain. Exactly. So, you know, it could happen, right? Yeah. But for a while, because I, I feel like, too, if he can get out and do his own movies, great. But if you're stuck in WWE movies... He's not. He's yeah, out he's to not. his own. Yeah, he's broke through. Yeah. Like, The Miz is going to be making WWE movies for life. Yeah. Well, who was the guy who was doing, like, remember remember the first movie was Owen Wilson, like, needing to cross behind enemy lines? And then they did, like, behind enemy lines, too, with, like... Yes. With, like, some, like, WWE guys. Ted DiBiase Jr., I think it was, or someone like that. I think like it that. was, like, no, was it, like... Mr. Kennedy or something or it was Mr. Kennedy. Yeah. It was like, yes. And I'm like, Oh, and then like, didn't, didn't triple H do like a school bus movie or something? He did like, a school <laughs> bus movie with, with, uh, the guy from, uh, that does the pranks. Yeah. Jamie Kennedy. Oh, I think was in it. So some of these movies you're like, yeah, no, I don't know. But then they get movies where they're not putting their stars in them. Like yeah. Holly Berry's in one. But anyways, we need to wrap this okay. up because you need, you have an audition to go yeah. to. That's and, right. um, so comedy bar that's what's going on jfl42 that's going on what else uh where can we find you online i'm uh on twitter and instagram as at gary Rado jr yeah. uh for me um i will be at the comedy bar this week for the new faces shows uh and next week um i will be at uh in brantford at the Brantford Comedy Festival on Saturday night at the Gala Theater Performance. Uh, one winner will get $10,000. I don't know if it will be me. Hopefully, I'll be bringing home the championship. Uh, that would be very nice. And then, of course, next week, you can find me back at Just For Last 42 doing the new Faces show at Comedy Bar and opening up for Rory Scoville at the uh, Royal Theater. All the shows there, I'll be opening for Royal. Uh, for, I mean, Rory. Rory. Royal. Royal. Royal, Royal Rory. Royal Rory is the new king. Yeah. I feel like a, a Ron Burgundy. Royal Rory has really rubbed <laughs> me the wrong way so anyway um you can find me uh find the show at tnw pod on twitter talking wrestling podcast on instagram talking wrestling at gmail rate review subscribe you can also find me casey corbin on all media outlets comedian casey corbin on instagram folks uh thanks for letting us put a headlock on your ears for a little bit and uh thanks for tuning in to talking wrestling on never sleeps network you guys have a fantastic day. Thank you. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 